And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Raptors Reasonablest Podcast. I am Eric Corrine. I'm not Blake Murphy. Blake Murphy, uh, along with Kane, has gone to parts unknown. He he's he's in the abyss. Uh, in the depths of hell, potentially. Uh, In any case, he's not with us this week. Uh, We do have a more than capable guest house, an ex-Torontonian, maybe still a Torontonian in heart. I don't know. I haven't consulted him about this. From CBS Sports, it's James Herbert. James, how are you? I'm doing well. Toronto will always have a place in my heart, Eric. You know that. A place in your heart is not the same as being a Torontonian at heart. I, I would just say being a pedantic little jerk like I am. Sure. I mean, I edited it slightly because I don't know if like, I don't know if I can responsibly still claim that. Um, yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. Like you can say I'm a Torontonian at heart, but that doesn't mean you're a Torontonian. I mean, you're, you, you very clearly are not a Torontonian because I think somebody has to like at the very least you have to have imminent plans to be back there. Yeah, if you are, which honestly, yeah. I would love to have imminent plans to be back there, but I can't right now. Um, um, yeah, no, I think I think we saw each other in Brooklyn in January 2020 when everything was fine in the world. We, uh, yes, and we, actually I mean, after that too, because one of the more recent basketball experiences I've had was a trip to Toronto in February. Um, where I saw like three games. One of them was that Raptors Bucks game, which was pretty memorable. Oh yeah. Kyle Um, Lowry trying to dribble between uh, George Hill's legs. Yes. He he tried to crawl through his legs. Yes. And when I came back, I think I only went to like one other game in Brooklyn before everything stopped. I also went to the uh, Kenny Atkinson is not the head coach of the Nets press conference. Um, And that was the one that I was kind of worried about when a bunch of positive tests came out from uh, the nets but and just we realized that like new york was in hell um but i i didn't yeah like those three raptor games um and and then like one i think it was like nets grizzlies or something i went to here and otherwise i haven't been to a game yeah my last game it's now been over a year since i've seen a an nba game live my last game was february 28th which was also the last game the raptors played in toronto so we have now moved past the year anniversary of that uh and it was a loss to charlotte uh which i have no memory of uh so that's good Uh, (laughs) it's very possible it will have been uh 20 months before I, i i in between seeing live basketball games uh james as he mentioned speaks to us are you you are in your home in brooklyn correct so the home of the defending first round 
losers, the Brooklyn <laughs> Nets. I, I don't think there's anything else notable to say about that franchise. Uh, but you still do, you keep an eye on the Raptors, I'm sure, as having lived here uh, for quite some time and, uh, you know, getting some of those golden Fred Van Vliet quotes for your stories. Uh, I think you had a big story last year on the, on the Raptors defense uh, before everybody started to write about the Raptors defense. So James knows his Raptors is what I'm trying to say. Before we talk more about the Raptors with James, uh, just a reminder, $3.99 per month, theathletic.com slash we the six. We have lots of trade deadline stuff coming, uh, coming out right now. Blake had a piece on whether a center is necessary for the Raptors uh, to pursue in trade deadline season, which is March 25th is, is the deadline, of course. And he had a piece on some available targets today uh, go up uh, at the center position. Uh, also, there are other podcasts on the Athletic Network, including our producer Andrew's NBA uh, on the Athletic NBA show feed, the Saturday Slam and Jam. Uh, so do us a favor and check that out. Uh, James, you, I assume you're not a regular listener of the Raptors Reasonable Raptors Reasonableist podcast. I'm not going to hammer you for that. There are many basketball <laughs> podcasts out there. No, I need to stop. I am a regular listener. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I know how bad you've been at the predictions all season long. Exactly. What I'm telling that's, you what right. I, that's what I was going to mention to you. And finally, without Blake here, uh, I have I had a perfect week. Now, I did not predict a game getting canceled, but I did predict the Raptors would go one and two in the games that they did play. Uh, and I predict that they predicted that they would lose to Philly which was sort of the inverse of the previous game, the Sixers three-point variance, uh, or basically three-point variance happened. You know, the, the, their three-point percent just flipped. Sixers win. Uh, Raptors look pretty gassed on a back-to-back in Miami. Still make it quite a game as uh, Nick Nurse gets a bit wacky with the rotations and the Raptors just can't quite get over the hump. And when they look like they might, Jimmy Butler does Jimmy Butler things. Uh, and the Raptors lose a pretty typical Raptors Heat game. Uh, I do find it enjoyable that sort of the Raptors and the Heat are both getting into their groove to make the Eastern Conference as annoying as possible to like the super talented teams all both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like there's this top three, and then there's like oh, it's Toronto and Miami really being annoying. Uh, so that that has a fun energy to it. And then on Friday. Of course, the Raptors beat the Houston Rockets with Sergio Scariolo on the bench because six Raptors coaches, including Nick Nurse, were either tested positive, uh, had either tested positive or were in protocol. So before we get into what is the biggest story of the week, my question for you, which Blake Murphy would have a full answer for James, is how are the Raptors different under Sergio Scariolo from an X's and O's point of view? <laughs> um, it's it's truly scary hours time under Scariolo to reuse a dumb joke that I made on Twitter. Um, I, I don't know that from X, an X's and O's perspective, they are any different at all. Did, did you notice anything? Different? No, no, I, I did it. Uh, basically, it was, you know, it was funny that the Raptors used 12 people uh against the Heat, that they used 12 people against the Rockets. It wasn't the same 12 guys, Mm -hmm. uh, but he went deep. There was some zone thrown in there to confuse the opposition when the offenses were get going. I I mean, they looked 
like the same team to me, uh, and that was mostly a joke of a question. To be clear. <laughs> uh, but my of favorite course, part when, of that game was that I mean it wasn't actually my favorite part, but I, I believe it's the part you wrote about was when for a whole stretch. Uh, there in the in the first half, the Raptors just could not generate anything and just look completely lost. And it made me think back to uh, a previous game last season, which was I believe it was in Miami, where the Heat just started playing a zone late in the first quarter and just played it the entire rest of the game. And the Raptors had maybe their worst offensive night yeah, they of the entire for- year. Yeah, they shot six for 42 from three. That That's night. the one. Yeah. And when the Raptors beat Minnesota... Uh, earlier in Minnesota, I forget exactly what the score was. It was like 86 to 81 or something. That was the lowest winning, lowest score by a winning team <laughs> since Miami beat the Raptors in that game you were talking about Amazing. Uh, more than a, a year ago. So we're, we're really covering all the depressing bases uh, <laughs> here on this week's Raptors Reasonable Plus. But wait, we're going to get more depressing. Because after the Rockets game, uh, the biggest story of the week, the Raptors game against uh, Chicago canceled. The Raptors did not have enough players uh, available to play that were not either, uh, you know, that were available to play uh, because of health and safety protocols related to uh, the league's approach to COVID-19. As we record this, it's 20 minutes after four Uh, On Monday, we have not yet heard about the Raptors game against Detroit on Tuesday, the Raptors or the Raptors game against Boston on Thursday. Uh, I will, I am betting that neither of those games will happen, but I've been wrong about a lot of this before. Um, So let's just cover off the facts Uh, to, to mention the names. Of course, Pascal Siakam was the only Raptor who didn't play on Friday because of health and safety protocols. Uh, There's also Nick Nurse, Jamma Malalela, and Adrian Griffin, and John Goodwillie, uh, who are all on his, you know, either lead assistant bench, or, or I think Goodwillie might be a second row assistant. Uh, and then you have John uh, Carpaccio, who is an assistant and the lead video coordinator. And give me a pronunciation, James. Fabulous. Uh, Flournoy? I think so. Um, the assistant. Video Great coordinator. guy. I don't uh, think I've ever said his last name out loud before, though. I, I think everybody well, just calls I'm him sor- Fab. Like that. that yeah, I just I'm sorry to have put you on the spot, but I knew you no. knew him, so yeah. I thought you might know his name. <laughs> I know him too. I do not know how to pronounce his last name, and I also haven't seen him in a year, like the rest of the Raptors. It's great, guys. <laughs> um, so we're in a holding pattern. The Raptors are in a holding pattern. There are lots of practical ways this could affect the team going forward. Uh, if they just have to make up the Chicago game, that will be 36 games they'll have to play in the second half of the season, which is exactly half of their schedule. If the other two games are canceled, they'll, of course, have to play 37 or 38. Uh, the most, I believe, currently scheduled is Memphis. Uh, the Grizzlies have six games postponed earlier in the season, and they are due to play 40 games in the second half. Uh, which sound, there's been some weird schedule stuff with the Grizzlies over the last few years. Uh, uh, There was something with them last year. Oh, that was the whole eighth seed uh, and the rules about that were created on the fly about a play-in tournament. Yeah, they got screwed. uh, That that they got screwed over. Uh, And now they're getting screwed in another way. Uh, Although COVID has certainly had a lot more uh, 
profound impacts, a lot more meaningful impacts than its effect on professional sports. So before we get into this conversation, I want to say first and foremost, we hope that everybody with the Raptors, everybody affected by the virus overall, but you know, we're talking about the Raptors, those who have caught it, we hope for a speedy recovery and a full recovery. And those who haven't, we hope do not. And we hope it's as, uh, as painless and, and as, uh, you know, it doesn't impact the Raptors as much as is possible and best wishes out to everybody who's suffering from it. Saying that, I have my sort of worries about how the league is handling this. What, what is, what's your overall take on what the league has done in terms of, you know, their weighing getting the season in versus, you know, really being cautious? Obviously, they're trying to find some sort of middle ground. How do you think they're faring? Yeah, I think it's hard, right? Just like the fact is they're playing a season relatively normally during a pandemic, which I mean, you might hear that and just recoil just at hearing that, like what don't even try. But like they wanted to try and they've for the most part pulled it off um, in a way that I think, you know, like I don't know, like you can call it commendable because I think by and large, the health and safety protocols have been smart and executed fairly well. Um, but I mean, to call it commendable is like, oh, congratulations, you have been willing to spend a whole ton of money to make sure that this works out because you want to make more money. Whereas like the average person going to their job, they just don't have the same kind of luxury um, because yeah. it probably shouldn't fall to just the league to protect their players um, like, like it has. But, but that's the reality of the situation. Um, I, I think when they started the year, there were some pretty obvious loopholes in the health and safety protocols themselves. Um, having guests allowed to come into players' hotel rooms, there's no real like rules about whether or not they had to be tested. Um, they found out essentially after after some scares around the league, some positive tests, them doing pretty detailed contact tracing that this thing was mostly spreading like, you know, in like unmasked team dinners, um, in car rides where people weren't wearing masks. It wasn't necessarily yeah. happening on the court. Um, and I think when they instituted the more harsh restrictions on everybody, like, like that is the reason why we've seen hardly any positive tests since then. So I think they have Absolutely. been fairly cautious while they're trying to do something very ambitious, whether or not you think that's a worthwhile thing. That's, I mean, I think reasonable people can be, have like yeah. different levels of like, you know, being comfortable with it. And I'm not always yeah. comfortable with, with the fact that we're sitting around seriously analyzing all of this stuff, um, during a pandemic and it's weird whenever like you're confronted it's been a banner with year for cognitive dissonance sure yes uh, is, is how i've i've put it a few times and, yes uh, but, but, but i think by and large when you look at like the sheer like amount of positive tests that they've had compared to the amount that we've just seen in the country like i i think the nba has done a good job on balance yeah uh, I think that's sort of unquestionable. Uh, I, you know, would nitpick in terms of, you know, if they're going to have, I, I just think John Hollinger wrote a piece for us at The Athletic, uh, it was more than a month ago now, about the schedule and right. about them running into a math problem and about how they're just 
Like, it's beyond me why they're trying to have intra... Oh, it's not beyond me, I understand it. But, like, having intra-conference games, making sure you get, like, two games of, the Brooklyn, of you know, Brooklyn Warriors, so you yeah. can talk about Kevin Durant twice, and having two games between Milwaukee and the Clippers, so you can talk about... I mean, great game yesterday, but... Uh, <laughs> so you can talk about Giannis yeah. and Kawhi. Um, I just, I would have rathered a more extreme approach taken to the schedule. And so maybe for a month at a time, you have like games only between six or like pods of six or eight teams. And that way, if there's a breakout, and as you said, the main way this is breaking out is not in uh, con, in, in on-court activity. It's more off-court activity. Um, but you want to make sure that you are keeping those numbers down as much as possible. And I think there's a little bit of hubris in that, that makes me more uncomfortable than I already am about them not bending the schedule and insisting on, you know, their version of competitive balance, which isn't being done for competitive balance reasons. It's being done for, you know, the tele, and maybe this is cynical of me, but it's being done to get those TV matchups that you want twice a year. Uh, and that's fine, I guess, but I, I would rather they bow to a sense of caution a little bit more often. And for me, without knowing the details, like there's obviously some speculation involved, but that goes back to something like the Raptors playing against Houston on Friday. Like if, if, if Pascal Siakam was in, in uh, was not able to play, like were, were there really no close contacts with him? In addition, and like we already uh, were, you watching the Raptors Nets game earlier in the year with Kevin Durant? Like I still don't understand what happened there. I don't understand how he, like like that has not been adequately explained to me. How Kevin Durant can not be starting because he had a close contact, have an inconclusive test, come into the game where, you know, nothing changed, obviously, and then come out of the game when that inconclusive test turned positive. Like, why was he... Either he shouldn't have been allowed to play at, at first or he should have been allowed and been pulled. But, uh, like, that... So I'm, I'm still, like, a bit confused on where they... Where the league lands some of the time. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's I mean, it's certainly been imperfect. And I think there are some instances, I mean, where I think the NBA... Like, sort of the way the NBA has approached it has sort of reflected how, you know, just by and large, we have messed things up. Like, I think it was absolutely crazy yeah. that you had players... Um, going on the record, like complaining, like we're not allowed to go for walks. We are stuck in our hotel room where I think the NBA just decided it was it would be easier because they can't surveil all these guys the way they did in the bubble to just say you literally can't leave your hotel room than to be like you can go for walks outside because that is a healthy and good thing to do. Just wear a mask and don't go inside anywhere where there could be some sort of super spreader event, right? Like that, that would be the more kind of humane approach, I think, is to let yeah. the, these guys take a walk um, and out of an <laughs> abundance of caution, an extreme abundance of caution, they didn't even let them do that. And I think, you know, there's still like we see um, just in wider society, like a, a pretty big emphasis on like hygiene and cleaning surfaces and stuff, even though that is not 
really a major driver yeah. of COVID infection and it, like those kind of things bug me. And then, yeah, I think there have been like the, the Durant thing you mentioned, I think was just, it was sort of just on the timing. It was there had like, to be some level of miscommunication there at some point. I don't well, know what it was, but I think but they actually did follow the rules though, because I, I believe it, Correct me if I'm wrong. I think if you have a close contact with an inconclusive test, you are allowed to play. If you have a an inconclusive test yourself, you were not allowed to play. Um, and then in both of those instances, that person who was tested inconclusive would be tested again. And what happened in the Durant case was that came back positive. Um, so he had to be pulled. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah, so what I'm what I'm saying, and I'm being pedantic now, but that is my nature, as you know, is like if the close contact was inconclusive at first. Why did he not play to start? Like he didn't start the game. And that's the part I haven't understood. Yeah. Cause I, well, cause I, I, I that, that was pretty weird. Um, <laughs> and I don't quite know like the timeline. Yeah. Nobody, I mean, we don't have, an, we don't have an answer for it. Like right. they, they quite rightly, like I, I'm not dying to know anybody's exact health status. I just, I think most of us just want a clear set of guidelines that yes. are followed consistently. And that's by the way, is a really hard thing to do with something as complicated and evolving as all of this is. Like right. Even a year, like we're coming up to the year anniversary of Rudy Gobert. Uh, and to speak to that and to speak to what we were talking about, like the Raptors played Rudy Gobert two, ta two days before, you know, the whole Rudy Gobert situation came out. And none of the Raptors tested positive, despite Serge Ibaka, you know, covering him for... 30 minutes or whatever it was. So Right. And then uh, the Durant thing you're describing, like basically like in a literal sense, that was them being like, like taking an abundance of caution. Like the, the, what you've identified is like, it doesn't quite make sense that he didn't just start the game. Yeah, because exactly. That, like that he was should, the under rule. their rules, he should have played to begin with. Yes. And, and I don't Durant, understand why he did not. Durant has since been very vocal in being, miffed that he had to sit out for that long when he never tested positive at any point. And there have been other guys like, you know, Dennis Schroeder comes back, like some other guys who Excuse have... Excuse me, you've covered enough games at the uh, Scotiabank Arena to know how Dennis Schroeder's name is actually pronounced. Schroeder, like... <laughs> um, Shout yeah. out to Herbie Coon. Absolutely. Um, whose voice we haven't heard in quite some time. Um, a, lot of, a lot of voices, yeah. Right. It's, um, it's anyway. It's complicated, and yes. I, I would like. I just wish they, uh, at, they were a. They were more clear about what's going on to the extent that they can be. Again, that's not a desire to know exactly who is tested positive, but it's just you know a desire for why somebody is or isn't on the court, and, and I think that's a reasonable request. And the second thing is, I wish they they had bent more with the schedule to try and limit yeah. possible exposure. And I think that is something they can be rightly hammered on. And uh, like, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to think, I'm not ever going to think that's acceptable that their priority isn't limiting exposure uh, in those cases. And there is a middle ground to strike and they're trying. I just fall on a different side of, of where they've decided to strike it. Yeah, and I liked that Hollinger wrote that story about like they, they could have absolutely been much more aggressive in terms of limiting travel. And that was a thing where when the schedule initially came out, 
that was a talking point. And then the season started and, and, and nobody brought it up anymore. It's just like, oh, this was inevitable. They had to make this as close to a normal season as possible. Uh, they need these Eastern Conference teams to be able to sell tickets to LeBron coming in town if they happen to be selling tickets, <laughs> right. which more of them are now, uh, including both of the teams in New York. Um Although the Nets are allowing like 300 people in, like they're not really going full bore into this yet, um, despite the fact that the city is letting them have 10% capacity and the Knicks, I think unsurprisingly, went straight to that. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so uh, there's one other thing I want to point out. And the comment section was in my story, What uh, you know, more stories you can read on The Athletic about... Uh, I mean, Blake wrote about Sergio Scariolo getting his first win. I wrote a, a few things about uh, the the Raptors situation. And the comments section, unsurprisingly, got a bit spicy. And I just want to say, I've criticized the league a lot here. And the players, to some extent, are complicit in it uh, because everything is collectively bargained. So I know some people think that the players are getting off easy uh, I'm not one of those people, but there's an all-star game going on and the players had to agree to play in it. So I don't think the all-star game should be happening. And there's two sides that want to maximize revenue here. And I understand that. So I don't want anybody to think I'm, you know, typical lefty only hammering the owners. I, I think obvious, I mean, to me, it's obvious that they have, they they should take more of the criticism because they are ultimately the people who carry the biggest hammer and make most of the, the decisions here. But it is, you know, everything that happens on the court and off the court, or, or most everything is collectively bargained. Uh, all of which is to say, if the next two games are canceled for the Raptors, their first game back is March 11th which will be 15 days since, or, or sorry, 13 days since they last played, uh, which means feasibly they would have gotten, feasibly they would have only missed, only had Pascal Siakam miss one game. That could be the only player they miss. I don't think that's entirely likely. Um, Drew Holiday just returned on Sunday for the Bucks. Uh, he missed, I believe, 20 days and 10 games. So even though two weeks is has been the norm when you test positive, it can obviously be more than that. And, and we just heard Jason Tatum talk about how long it's taken him to get his wind back. And that's why I want to point everybody to the beginning of this conversation where we say that the most important thing here is that the guys who don't have it, they still don't get it, and everybody's being as safe as possible now. And the people who do have it, uh, they have a fast, speedy, and full recovery. Any final thoughts on this thing that we love talking about, James? <laughs> um, I don't know that I have any like big overarching thoughts to add, but I am curious to see what happens with these next Raptor games, just because I'm a little confused. Um there were instances earlier this year where, with respect to the Grizzlies, who you talked about earlier, and the, the Wizards, who had I, what I think should be described as like a minor outbreak on their team, they, they just had a series of games canceled all at once. And presumably, if there were reason to cancel 
all of or not cancel postpone i should say to postpone all of these games before the all-star break they would have just done that right so i feel like on one hand i'm like okay no news is good news if the good news is that these games are going to be played Especially and then the other hand detroit detroit has to travel to tampa uh i'm not sure where they were but they weren't in tampa so uh, yes yeah. and then on the other hand there's like okay well they the Raptors have an otherwise like full roster of players and they you only technically need eight guys um, to play a game, though. I think the league has erred on kind of postponing anyway, if it's close after an initial kind of controversial decision about a Sixers game where Tyrese Maxey went and dropped 40 or something. Um, Future Raptor Tyrese Maxey. <laughs> potentially. Um, they, 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 they've sort of erred on the on the side of caution if a team is going to be seriously shorthanded. Um, but still, I, I was a little surprised that the last game was postponed. And if you just look at sort of the letter of the law, like I, I believe like you outlined this in the story you wrote about it is like you would kind of expect that the next few games are canceled or postponed. I keep misspeaking just, no, just based no, no. on that. But yeah, that that may be true. But then I'm like, well, why didn't they just announce that they're all postponed? So like I am just kind of confused and waiting to hear about what what's going to happen here. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Um, we don't have that breaking news yet. We do have uh, breaking news, though, that Atlanta has fired Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce, according to ESPN. Uh, I so, saw that as you were talking and almost yelled, but then I just kind of decided I would let you keep rolling. Yeah. Uh, so Lloyd Pierce fired. He uh, he did some great work uh, in the community for Atlanta as uh, that was... You know, some big important things happened in Georgia earlier this year, If uh, in case you've forgotten. He was a big part of that. Uh, so, I mean, this stuff happens. I believe he was quoted 
in The Athletic, I want to say it was The Athletic, uh, I apologize if I'm wrong, is saying, I know at some point Travis Schlenk is going to fire me, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so I think he probably knew <laughs> that something was coming. Uh, but you never want to see guys get fired. And uh, I wonder if Nate McMillan, his old buddy, is going to take over. That would be my instant prediction. But this is not an Atlanta podcast, Hawks podcast. Uh Let's Before we talk about what's to come, which is the trade deadline, I, I know a lot of people are interested in that, quickly let's take a, another thing that ha- uh, take a look back, another thing that happened in the previous week. The All-Stars were announced. Uh, Fred Van Vliet robbed uh, of an All-Star berth. Or if you're me, think, uh, you know, he could have made it, but he also couldn't have made it, and I can't bother to get too worked up about it. The guards that were named ahead of him Ben Simmons, James Harden, Jalen Brown, and Zach Levine. Uh, once Kevin Durant was ruled out of the game, uh, Sabonis wa- replaced him. That is a front court replacement. Uh, I don't think you have to stick to position when making the replacements, but I think it's generally been the policy to stick positionally as, as much as possible with commissioners' replacements. Uh, so James... How much of an outrage on, on Kyle Lowry? You know, let's say 10 is Kyle Lowry being not making it because seven-time All-Star Joe Johnson does make it back in 2014. <laughs> and one is Ed Davis not making the All-Rookie game. Uh, whoa, what, whoa, whoa. Is, <laughs> Only one? <laughs> um, you know how fond I am for Ed Davis, but any argument over... And I've had to write my share of stories about the Rookie Challenge snubs. Uh, so this might be I, the only I, podcast that's happened where both people talking have profiled Ed Davis in depth. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, actually, you're right. I did a proper profile. I, I sat down at Real Sports with yeah. Ed Davis in his rookie year. Uh, it was very awkward uh, before both of us came into our own personalities, <laughs> I, I would say. Um, I was... I want to say I was like 25. He was probably 21 or something. It, it was, yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, but let's let's just say, for the sake of, you know, any, uh, well, let's let's take the Ed Davis slander out of there. Any conversation about all rookie snubs is a one, and Kyle Lowry not making it is a ten uh, in terms of you know Raptors anger. Uh, where does Fred VanVleet not making it over those guys rank for you? Well, all the guys you named ahead of him are bums, so I think it's got to be. <laughs> no, I mean, look, the East this year was just, like, treacherous. Um, if you actually go through and try to make your all-star team, um, you will just inevitably end up excluding some people you just assumed would be locks going in, like, specifically in the Eastern Conference. So I think it's much closer to the the 1 than the 10. I initially, when I did the exercise, did not have Fred in. And then, like, right before the reserves, I went and just kind of looked at everything again. And I decided I would actually put him in um, and take uh, Vucevic out, who ended up making it as for one of the wild cards. We ended up yeah. on, like, my team that meant nothing because I have no say. Um, and I'm not a, an NBA coach, nor am I an assistant coach filling out the ballot in secret for yeah. the head coach. Um, but... I think it was extremely tough. And I look at some of the other guys that didn't make it like, you know, like Trey Young, Trey Young, Bam, Jimmy, like there's a lot of guys, you know, like somebody like Gordon Hayward, like he is basically producing the same numbers he did 
in Utah a few years ago for a team that is surprisingly good, um, not just because of him, but like he has a lot to do with it. Um, but I mean, I ended up having Fred in just because he just keeps getting better. And the, the past few weeks, I think we're quite compelling, but I don't think it was like an open and shut case. I, yeah. I think and if, if on, somebody's sorry. going to name Trey, Trey Young or Zach Levine, um, as an all-star simply because they seem like more starry players than Fred, I actually don't have much of an argument. Yeah. Um, and before Sabonis was named a replacement, I think he was like the first 20, 10, and 5 players since who knows when to not make it. Uh, so there are a lot of good players not making it. Um, I, I had, the one thing I had thrown at me on Raptors Twitter, which is no surprise, because it's Raptors Twitter, was a lot of Celtics slander, um, saying, you know, we get zero guys and they get two guys. Um my counter to that is, A, I don't subscribe to that whole theory. I don't think any team is owed any number of players, no matter how good they are. I do think that's how coaches often think, but that's not my belief. But also, it's not like the Celtics are 11 and 19. Like, the, there are, we're about to talk about this. There are seven teams with more or less the same record in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, Jalen Brown, you know, averaging 25, 5.5 and 4, like on a team that was probably at the time a game worse than the Raptors. Sorry, like that's not a disqualifier. And I, I know like a lot of the other impacts that say Fred is a more impactful player, but it's not this like grave injustice. Now, if the Raptors were you know, 20 and 10 at the time, as opposed to 15 and 15 or whatever they were, like maybe I, I would, you know, be ringing the bell or whatever you do to make your case. It's probably not ringing the bell. Um, yeah. But uh, like there are seven teams with the same record. Basically. Yeah. And I think when it comes to like how winning should impact this, it's like, I am not an extremist. That's like, just look at the individual numbers. That's all that matters. I think, if you have a couple of players who are close, then a team that is contributing to winning that is not only on a winning team, but maybe you could prove with some impact stats like they are like performing much better when that guy is on the court like that. If they have an elite offense, this is the person driving it. If they have an elite defense, this is the person driving it. Like, I think there is a way to put winning in to the conversation, um, but I don't think the proper way to put it into the conversation is to just simply look at a team's record and say they're not good enough to have two all-stars. I don't think that makes sense. And I think the same is true of the reverse. Like, I don't think you should look at the, the Sixers record, um, which is, by the way, getting worse every day, it feels. Um, but getting like, look at the Sixers record, say at the time when we were debating all-stars more yeah. aggressively and say, well, they absolutely have to have two. Like they ended up getting two. But I think just based on how crowded a field it was, if it were just Joel Embiid representing the Sixers, that would have been fine. Yeah, and that's sort of how I felt about Kyle Lowry making it as a Raptor last year. Like, do I have a problem with Kyle Lowry being an all-star? No, of course not. Like, we, you know, I, I've sung his praises enough times and, and seen how much he impacts a game uh, to, you know, I'm not going to begrudge that guy anything. But... That doesn't mean the Raptors were owed a second guy because they had the second best record in the conference at that point. And that's just how I feel. Uh, before we have to let you go, James, I want to zoom out a bit. Uh, I, I think 
safe to say if Blake ever, you know, comes back from the fifth circle of hell, we will talk about the trade deadline more next week. But as I alluded to, there are currently seven teams. Uh, that's between fourth and tenth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, so, you know, quote unquote, hosting a playoff series right down to being the last team in the play on play in that are currently one and a half games, uh, one and a half games separates those seven teams. Way to get that sentence out, Eric. Uh, the Raptors, I don't even care what place they're in right now. They're behind the Knicks. I think they're tied for fifth. Um, I'm getting so sick, by the way, of just people like pointing at the Knicks and saying like, they are fourth in the East. What an incredible season. Like, dude, they're one and a half games out of 10th too. Like yeah, this, um, this changes virtually every day. Yeah. And just Indiana the fell, with one loss, Indiana fell from, I believe, fifth to 10th. So, yes. So let's, whatever. Let's show. Uh, the Raptors are ninth in offense, fourth, 14th in defense. Uh, those are league wide ranking rankings, ninth overall. Uh, via Tankathon, they have a 502 uh, remaining opponent winning percentage, which among those seven teams, is second most difficult. Now, of course, not much not much separates most of those teams. I think the one exception is Miami, which has a... Uh, I think this was the case last year. Miami had a really easy schedule going down the stretch. Uh, of course, we're not at a stretch yet. We're only halfway through the season. Uh, but that's just to indicate where things stand for the Raptors right now. And as, you know, if these next two games are canceled... When we next see them play, the Raptors will have two weeks until the trade deadline. So, James, this is my big, my long way of saying, how do you see where the Raptors, you know, from an outside perspective, how do you view the Raptors going into the trade deadline right now? And what would your, before we get into specific names, what would your overall approach be? I think... I know that's a big question. No, that's fine. I, I think if, unless... Kyle Lowry has indicated he wants out or something. I I kind of see the Raptors as more buyers than sellers at this stage. And I think it's pretty easy for a front office to talk themselves into trying to make a win now move. When you look at like, first of all, like what you said about how jumbled up the East is, the fact other teams are going to be trying to add reinforcements to like, if you care about this season, you probably want to go and, and try to separate yourself in some way. Um, also, even the stratification that there looks like there is in the standings maybe is not as real as previously thought. I mean, at this point, the Sixers net rating is barely any better than the Raptors, even though yeah. their record is much better. We also just saw um, the Raptors split a pair of games against that team and like Fuddle their star player more than yeah. any team in the league has For, done this year in keeping with Toronto's identity as a defensive team. I think before just, those two games, by the way, I just want to point out that the Raptors and Sixers basically had the same net rating, and but in clutch minutes, the native the difference between the Sixers and the Raptors was forty points per hundred possessions. Right, um, which um, pretty largely much because <laughs> yeah. And largely, honestly, because the Sixers in the clutch, like you can't score against them. Like a lot yeah. of teams, a lot of the time you think it's like, oh, because they have this like one on one perimeter guy. It's like there's another way to be good down the stretch of games, too. Um, yes. But but I would just say, like, there's opportunity here um, in the right situation to try to improve the team. I could see them jumping at it. It's just it is tricky because the flip side of everybody 
you know, tr trying to break out of this kind of middle of the East's morass is that a lot of teams you might ordinarily think could be sellers can pretty easily also talk themselves into trying to get better or at least standing pat. And yeah. that is augmented by the fact that there is now a play in tournament. So you don't have to be eighth necessarily um, to get into the playoffs. Um, so and especially, I mean, especially sorry to interrupt, just like teams that have sucked for so long, like Chicago or the Knicks, like, a, you know, a play in tournament, even if they lose, like that would be like it's a meaningful sign of progress and it's something to sell as a meaningful sign as progress. And as uh, the great bard Kevin O'Neill once said, you're either selling wins or selling hope. Uh, right. And this is, you know, the play in tournament has just basically given two more two more hope spots to uh, the league. Yeah, and that like one of those teams you mentioned is like specifically relevant. Maybe both are, um, but the Bulls have a guy named Thaddeus Young who has been a point center for them this season. That they have been absolutely killing teams when he's been on the court. Um, just has been just perfect for Billy Donovan's new offense there. And I think Raptor fans are probably thinking he could be perfect as a small ball five in Toronto. Um, and then they also have Garrett Temple, who they it was like the one move they made in the offseason was signing him for under five million dollars. And he's a veteran who can basically guard one through three and play one through three. And both of those players, like there's certain players you look around, and you're like that guy, like that guy would be a good Raptor because they can, you know, they are versatile defensively. They can make a play. They can put the ball on the floor. They are quick thinkers um, and smart players that you can rely on. And I think those guys would be two absolutely natural trade targets. One of them has an expiring con contract. The other one, um, Thaddeus Young is making like 14 million next year and only 6 million of that is guaranteed. So it's not exactly expiring, but it is sort of like that functionally. Yeah. Um, but at this point, I kind of don't expect either one to be available. You could look at the Knicks and say, hey, Nerlens Noel has been awesome defensively. He's a guy that can guard on the perimeter and block shots. And, you know, he's a decent passer. And, like, maybe he would be an interesting target for Toronto. And, like, Tom Thibodeau is, like, 0% interested in trading Nerlens Noel right now. And, like, this is not me saying that, like, he is necessarily wrong. Like, maybe the Knicks will be a playoff team. They are, as I said, fourth in the East right now, as if that means anything. But, like, they could for sure be a playoff team. But they also could fall out. You know, they're second in defense, I think, right now, too. So it's right. not to say that's completely unsustainable, although I think we both have our uh, reservations when it comes to the Knicks. Yeah, I think it is fair to look at that defense and wonder if that can hold up or if opponents will start making some threes against them. Um, but I mean, people had those same questions about like the Raptors three point defense and stuff, too. And like just sometimes that's a thing. Sometimes it isn't. Um, yeah. So I look around and like it, it is easy to kind of point out some natural targets. We can go through some of them if you like. But I, I think it's just it is complicated because I think yeah. they should be buyers. But I think like buying is going to be tough. There's going to be a lot of competition and maybe what you're hoping for is that one of these teams like a Chicago who has a new GM that isn't necessarily wedded to the idea that this roster is, <clears throat> is excuse me, like good this year. Maybe he decides to zig when other people are zagging and he tries to get like start a bidding war for Thaddeus Young. And then he ends up getting like a first and a second from Toronto, which maybe that is actually a smart thing for Toronto to do. And maybe they owe that to a Kyle Lowry at this point. Um, so it's possible. 
It's just it, the, the situation is pretty weird compared to a normal trade deadline. Absolutely. Uh, you touched on a lot of things there, and I appreciate it. Uh, I was going to ask you about Kyle Lowry. Uh, I think I know where you stand. Uh, I, I think, you know, as I wrote, when did I write that? Who knows? But I wrote at some point that, at the very least, the Raptors and Kyle Lowry, before the trade deadline, have to have an honest conversation about not only what they want for this year, but where their plans align for the years to come. And that doesn't mean if Kyle Lowry says he has no intention of staying in Toronto or, or he has no intention of ta taking a salary that would have him make sense to play in Toronto, that they have to all of a sudden trade him uh, or vice versa. It doesn't mean they have to keep him if he really, really wants to stay. Uh, the Raptors ultimately have to do what's best for them, but I think you owe it to Kyle Lowry as well as, you know, just yourselves to have a very honest conversation. Uh, and I think both sides should want that just so you can make a fuller decision uh, going into the trade deadline. Uh, yeah. I, I, like you, and, and I would err on the side of, you know, let's keep Kyle Lowry as a Raptor as long as possible and hopefully in, like into next year so he can actually pay it, play in Toronto again. Like, I don't get too emotionally attached. Like, I try to put on my GM cap and surely Masai Ujiri will put on his, you know, cold calculating cap when he needs to. But I want nice things for <laughs> lots of people. And I, I think lots of people who are listening to this podcast would like Kyle Lowry to suit up at a sold-out Scotiabank Arena again. So all things being equal, that's what I would like to happen. Uh, and I just sort of have trouble see seeing a uh, a deal that like really knocks their socks off uh that where you have to trade kyle lowry just because of how few picks are available from those teams that would be like oh kyle lowry we're now super duper nba championship contenders like there's philly and there's denver and then mm -hmm. basically every other team that you'd consider is more or less out of sexy packs. Um, yeah, and I think so that's one of the many reasons Philly comes quickly. up. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, like all of this stuff, it's like it is very contextual because I, like a lot of the time it's like, should team trade player X? And it's like, well, like for what? And that that part of the equation really matters. And I I think they can sit down and have their discussion and the Raptors can be as honest as possible about what their plan A, B, and C is at this deadline next summer and everything else. Lowry can be as honest as possible about like what it would take to get him back in terms of what kind of team he wants to play for, how much he expects to be paid, all, all of this stuff, even though you're not technically supposed to be negotiating far in advance. Like they, they can talk about whatever. I, I, I don't um, think anything would stop Kyle Lowry from yelling his expectations out loud. Right. And the Raptors saying nothing. <laughs> right. Right. And and all all of but they can have that conversation yeah. and they can think that one outcome is much more likely than the other and maybe that outcome is like what you are suggesting is that this is not the end of the like very fruitful relationship between Lowry and the Raptors um and that they could bring him back at a price that makes sense for both but that can be what they think. And then the next day they could get a trade offer come in that is like basically the Drew Holiday Hall. Um, yeah. 
And at that point, you have to sit down and you have to think about that. And there aren't a ton of teams out there, as you referenced, that can offer something comparable to the Drew Holiday Hall. Um, But, I mean, Philly's one of them. And there might be some other teams that are willing to do that. It is becoming um, almost like sort of like the anti-process at this point or like the delayed process to like, instead of deciding we're going to be bad for uh, a few years to try to get a superstar, it's saying like, okay, we're going to like, if we have to mortgage our future and take the chance that we are going to be bad for several years down the line, like we are going to sell all these picks and then we are going to be amazing now. And that that is becoming a trend that we have seen um, with the Davis trade, the Paul George uh, and Kawhi package deal. And I think like that, th- that's why the Drew Holiday trade and the Harden trade um, since then were really interesting is because that continued that it, it was not this just this one off thing. Um when the Anthony Davis deal happened, we've seen a bunch of other stuff like that happen. And after the Nets Celtics trade many years ago, we just assumed we were never going to see that again. So I don't think it's impossible for another team to come with an offer that the Raptors would basically be negligent not to consider. But I'm kind of with you in that I don't think that is the most likely outcome here. Escalation, not fun in warfare, but fun in, uh, in the NBA. Uh, I guess is what you're saying. Uh, Last question. I'll keep you to 90 seconds because I don't even know what our producer Andrew's schedule is. And it has something to do with the trade deadline. And you can keep that in mind while you answer it uh, in terms of who you might target in terms of buyer being a buyer. What have you thought about the small ball Raptors? Oh, I mean, I've been wanting to see more of that all season long, which should not surprise you one bit. Um, I think, you know, Anyone like I would not want them to target somebody who would make it like very like functionally difficult to get a small ball unit out there. So like if they're going out and getting just another traditional big um, that will demand a lot of playing time and like Baines is not going out the door, like I don't really know how much sense that makes. I, I like that it accentuates the things that I think, you know, makes like when you watch League Pass every night and you flip between teams like. It the Raptors have stood out and they've stood out for the entire nurse era and like playing this way, it makes them that much more um, fun to watch. It makes them that much more of a like pesky defensive team that is kind of creating chaos out there. Uh, it allows them to get into transition. It allows them to space the floor uh, really well. It's 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 been really cool. And it was interesting to see that they even started that way against Philly and they, they started that way against Milwaukee. And I, I know they had to go away from it um, a few minutes into the Philly game because it started poorly. But like that was cool to me when the notification came in, like however long, 45 minutes before that game. And it was like OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam are um, the starting front court against Embiid. Like that. Right after, right after Nick Nurse said it would be impossible to start to play like that, by the way. Yeah. Um, which, which is always fun for us, the media. Yeah, which means if you're looking for like front court stuff in the deadline, like you look at like a Thad Young, like I said, like you look at like, I mean, I don't know if like, frankly, these two guys are probably not available, but like Larry Nance Jr. to me would be like the dream acquisition. Yeah. He's a guy uh, I've thought of too. And and yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah. Like Aaron Gordon would be like a dream acquisition. Like these are guys that like, if you have them playing with Ananobi and Siakam, like the positions truly don't matter at all. And that, that is the way that the league is kind of going in a lot of ways. And that is the way the Raptors have been trending for years. That doesn't mean that a 
more traditional center isn't useful. Um, like they got a lot of great stuff from Marcus all one of both of our favorite players. So yeah, we'll see how it goes, but I, I love the small ball. Look, that was way more than 90 seconds. I'm That's sorry. all right. That's okay. Uh, James Herbert is at CBS sports. Anything in particular, in particular you want to plug James? No, just, um, you know, I have, I tweet stupid stuff at outside yeah. the NBA on Twitter and all my stories go on the cbssports.com slash NBA. And he has a wonderful cat who uh, we currently have three pictures of, three holiday cards with Duck the Cat on uh, our fridge, which, if you are wondering, is more than we have of our actual pets on our fridge, <laughs> uh, which is maybe Warms a bit my disturbing. Heart. James Herbert does great work at CBS Sports, uh, as mentioned, on Twitter, at Outside the NBA. James, I can't wait until we can uh, talk shop in Toronto or Brooklyn or who knows, somewhere else in between. That will be beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. Shout out to uh, Blake also. Yeah. Uh, everybody else, theathletic.com slash we the six, three ninety nine a month. We're going to have plenty of deadline content coming, and maybe we'll even have games to write about uh hope everybody down in Tampa is doing as well as possible. Thanks for listening. See ya! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.